Good morning. The title of this morning's message is The Feast of Unleavened Bread. This morning I want to talk to you about what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. What did it mean to the Hebrews? And how can we best understand it as believers in Jesus Christ? So, what is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Well, to start with, it is one of the three spring celebrations that commemorate the Hebrews' miraculous deliverance from the bondage of Egypt. There's three feasts. There's the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Firstfruits, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These are three separate celebrations that overlap within an eight-day period. The first celebration was the Passover. It's on the 14th of the Jewish month of Nisan. Passover was a feast day, but it wasn't a holy day. It wasn't a Sabbath. So the Jews were still allowed to work on the Passover day. The second celebration began the very next day, on the 15th, and that was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a high, holy day. It was a Sabbath. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted for a total of seven days and ended with another high, holy day. It ended with another Sabbath. In the midst of there, there is the third feast, which is the Feast of Firstfruits, which followed one day after the regular Saturday Sabbath after Passover. Passover was on Friday, they had Sabbath. Saturday, Sunday was first fruits. That's where we have Easter. <laughs> Jesus is also the first fruits. As New Covenant believers, we can see into the shadows of these celebrations to the greater realities that have been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The Passover celebration is in remembrance of God miraculously bringing an entire nation out of the slavery of Egypt by using the blood of a lamb on the doorposts of their house as a sign that they had put their faith in God so that God's judgment would pass over them. But within this Old Covenant celebration, we see Jesus as the Passover lamb, whose blood sacrifice caused the wrath of God to pass over us and to bring us a complete deliverance from our slavery to sin and Satan. 1 Corinthians 5-7 says this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And he marries those two celebrations together, unleavened bread and the Passover. We celebrate Jesus as our Passover. The Feast of First Fruits was celebrated to recognize and demonstrate thankfulness for God's provision and protection of their harvest, and to attain his blessing on all of the rest of the crops. If the first part of the crop was blessed, then all of the crop was blessed. What does he name us? He names us blessed. <laughs> In the Feast of first fruits, we see Jesus as the first fruits of the dead. Again, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15:20, but now is Christ risen from the dead, and become the first fruits of them that slept. And first fruits, what they do is they wave a part of the first fruits, the first ones that are harvest. They wave it before the Lord. Interestingly enough, they wave it to and from, back and forth. They're waving the cross before the Lord. Jesus is our first fruits. Okay? So when Jesus is blessed, then we are too. He is the first fruits. Jesus is accepted and blessed by the Father as the first fruit, which means he is the first to be harvested from the dead. That means all the rest <laughs> is going to be harvested from the dead as well. 
We are accepted and blessed because Jesus is accepted and blessed. That makes us his harvest. And someday our bodies will be raised from physical death, just like his was. So Jesus is our first fruits. So Jesus is our Passover, and Jesus is our first fruits, but Jesus is also our unleavened bread. So what did the Feast of Unleavened Bread celebrate? Well, to find out, we're going to take a short trip through the Old Testament prescribed order of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of Matzah. I'm sure most of you have heard the word matzah. I thought it would be really interesting if they actually left it untranslated. Instead of saying unleavened bread, the word, the actual Hebrew word, is matzah. <laughs> so, it is the Feast of Matzah. Matzah is the actual untranslated word. This prescribed order for the Feast of Unleavened Bread is found in Exodus chapter 12. This is in regard to the actual Passover, not the memorial. This is the first one, <laughs> okay? He says this in regard to the Passover. 12, 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God had commanded the Hebrews to kill a lamb and to place its blood on the doorposts and lintel of their house. It was a sign that they believed in God's desire towards them. God's desire was to protect them from the judgment that others would receive. God says, my desire is that you escape the judgment of this world. That's what it meant to them. And in verse 14, it continues, This day shall be a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statue forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Here, God is talking about keeping the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread combined. There is no real separation between the Passover meal and the Feast of Unleavened Bread as far as what it represents, which is their deliverance from slavery. There is a separation, though, as far as how the days are celebrated. The first day, the day of Passover, was not a Sabbath. So work could be done that day. In fact, the day of Passover is often referred to as the day of preparation in the Gospels. Not only did they have to prepare the Passover meal, but they also had to prepare for the following Sabbath because no work could be done. God says both of these celebrations, the Passover and the entire week of unleavened bread, are a combined picture, a combined celebration of what happened that day when they came out of slavery. Verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, which was actually Passover, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. Now, what you find in the New Testament is a lot of times the writers will refer to these eight days, Passover plus the seven, as the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Or they'll turn it around and they'll refer to Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread all together as Unleavened Bread or as Passover. It's all the same combined celebration. <laughs> but sometimes when you read it, it can get a little confusing as to what it is they're celebrating. <laughs> we know this is not the high Sabbath day because he said, you shall remove the leaven out of your house. That would be considered work. The one thing you never did on the Sabbath was work. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. The Jews to this day actually do this leaven removal a week or two prior to the actual day. This celebration still goes on all over the world in a Jewish household. They do their spring cleaning to make sure there is not one tiny crumb of leavened bread or leaven anywhere in the house. Leaven is simply yeast. 
It is what makes bread big and fluffy and delicious. <laughs> but eating yeast any time during the appointed feast days was a big deal because if you ate leaven during any time that week, you lost your covenant blessings and privileges. And if you purposely defiled the Sabbath by eating unleavened bread, you could be put to death. That's how serious it was. Now remember, that's not our covenant. Okay? These are pictures for us to see a greater reality, a greater truth. Theirs was an outside salvation. Ours is an inside salvation. So the law of the Sabbath and law of the Sabbath keeping doesn't apply to us. As New Covenant believers, we can choose to keep the Sabbath holy, which means separated unto God, or we can choose to consider all the days holy and live them unto God. Because for us, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. It is in him and in his finished work that we trust. That's what the picture was supposed to point us to. The fact that we don't work for salvation. It is a gift given to us. It is a rest in his finished work. Therefore, we can keep the Sabbath every day in our heart by not trying to work or earn our salvation or our blessings. We don't earn our blessings. Blessings are free. They're a gift. We don't earn them. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, he says this, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of the food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is Christ. Amen. So according to the Apostle Paul, we always have to look at the Old Testament as pictures that point us to a greater reality in Christ. That's what we're supposed to see back there. We're supposed to see Jesus and not be tempted to institute these feasts as requirements. We are free to celebrate them. It's a big deal out on the internet. Are Christians required to keep the Sabbath? Are Christians required to keep the feast days? No, we are not required because those things all point us to Jesus. <laughs> They're looking at what they can do instead of who salvation is. We always want to point to Jesus. Now the Jews understand leaven as a picture that represented all that is evil, corrupting, or decaying. Most scholars interpret its meaning as representative of sin. So we see the idea of removing that which is sinful from our lives. In fact, every commentator I tried to find a good understanding of how to see Jesus in the unleavened bread said, yep, you've got to get busy getting rid of all that sin in your life. I want to talk back to them and say, let's see how you can do it. Because you can't get rid of sin in your life. Only Jesus does that. <laughs> but that is the most accepted interpretation is you've got to make yourself holy. One of the ceremonies that the Jews participate in on Passover is the ceremonial removal of some crumbs of leaven by the children. Part of the Passover is to teach the traditions and to teach the truths and the miraculous that God had performed for them. And what they do is, since they've already actually gotten rid of all the leaven, what they do to teach these principles to the children is they plant some giant leaven so no one can miss it. <laughs> Don't want to mess up our blessings. <laughs> and they have the children go around with a wooden spoon and a feather, and they ceremonially remove the leaven. And it's all put into a, a nice white napkin and burned as an offering, okay? So they still do this to this day. What they're teaching their children is, 
you are responsible for taking care of your sin. That is an Old Testament concept. That's not a New Testament concept. Unfortunately, this concept has leaked over into the present-day church, (laughs) which tries to tell us that we must vigorously hunt down our sins, expel them from our life, because if we don't, then we too will be cut off from God. This, of course, is not true. In the New Covenant, our sins no longer separate us from God. You can't be separated from God. (laughs) It's impossible. He's one with you. And all of our sins have been dealt with at the cross. There is no more fear of being separated from God. The truth is, if we go looking for sin, we will find some. (laughs) Because if we understand what sin is, sin is missing the mark of perfection. Now, most people who love Jesus are not out there trying to purposely sin. Most of us get really mad at ourselves when we blow it. (laughs) Ah, how could you be so stupid? (laughs) But we are always going to fall short of God's glorious perfection at some point. Years ago, I went to a little holiness church. In holiness teaching, their emphasis is on living holy. And to them, that meant living perfect. Be ye holy as God is holy. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. You know how hard that is? (laughs) It's so exhausting. (laughs) My church would often have revival meetings twice a year. In other words, they'd have a special speaker come in. And for a whole week, you went to church every night. I loved it. I love Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. I love seeing him work in other people's life. I love revival. But one time revival came around, I said, can we just enjoy you instead of having to repent of something? I'm so tired of repenting because repenting doesn't really accomplish anything. You know, I cry, I promise, I determine to change things, and then the next revival comes. (laughs) I have to repent again. Now it's some other place I'm not being perfect. Oh, it was exhausting. (laughs) And it never made me holy. You see, that's the part I never got. All of my being sorry never made me holy. All of my trying hard never made me holy. It never made me perfect. It didn't matter how hard or how much effort I put into it. I could not make myself perfect. I didn't know I didn't have to that I had already been made perfect through Christ Jesus. He sees me, and he named me holy. Holy. Now, on the other hand, just because we are holy, and we don't have to go looking for our sins, doesn't mean we ignore them either. (laughs) It just means we deal with them differently under the new covenant. But under the new covenant, we never lose our holiness. Never. It's just not always visible to others. Someone else may not see me as holy. They may see a moment when they go, Ooh, that's not good. Flesh. Flesh. (laughs) But I never lose my holiness. I never lose my right standing. I never lose my righteousness. I have been called and named holy and righteous and saved and blessed and pure. And no one and nothing can take that away. 
Verse 16, it continues. And on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day you shall hold a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs to eat, that alone you may prepare. It was later changed when they started having the Passover. God said, on holy days, you're not even allowed to prepare food. You've got to do everything the day before. So that changed. The day following Passover was considered a Sabbath. It sounds so legalistic, but Sabbath was a good idea. These were slaves, remember? They never had a day off. They never had a day of rest. And you see, in the Old Testament, it wasn't a day of going to church. We think it was. That God's requiring all the Israelites to go to church. It's a silly picture. You try to get two million into a building? No. It was a day of rest. He wanted to get through to their thick skulls. You cannot work in my presence. You don't come with your self-effort. You don't come with your trying hard. That won't get my power in your life. My power comes from me. So when you come into my presence, you have a rest. And let me do the work. Let me provide for you. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't deliver themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. They couldn't do anything for themselves. God wanted them to figure out, guess what? You can't do it for yourself. You need a Savior. You need God. So a Sabbath was a day of rest, relaxing. In fact, he was so against them working, he said, you can't even walk far enough to work, okay? (laughs) He put parameters. No, you must find rest. That's my desire for you, that you would find rest in me. It was a day that they would gather together and remember the strength, the power, the faithfulness, and the goodness of their God. He says, I want you to rest, and I want you to remember. Exodus 13.3 says this, Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Now, we wouldn't necessarily put those two thoughts together. <laughs> Remember the strong hand of the Lord and don't eat any leavened bread. How do those things fit? God wanted them to remember their deliverance from Egypt was a work of his hand and not a work of their own hands and not a work of Moses' hands. It was God himself that delivered them. And because of that, God said no leaven should be eaten in remembrance of what came from his hand. And what came from his hand that day for those who believed? Salvation, freedom, prosperity, healing, and relationship with God. It all came from his hand. Nothing corrupt or decaying came from God's hand for those who believed and trusted in him. Leaven in the natural is an activated yeast, which means it always produces the process of fermentation, which is a form of corruption and decay. Yeast is actually a living organism, and it devours all the sugars that are available in flour. And as it eats the sugars, it produces gas bubbles, which cause bread doughs to rise and get big and fat and delicious. (laughs) 
But it's really kind of a disgusting thought if you think about it. <laughs> Some little critter in there is eating all the sugar and passing gas. <laughs> exactly. Ew. <laughs> and we like it. We like it in, in our bread. We like that it, the volume expands. We like it. It's really kind of weird. Sin, like yeast, is alive. And if we let it feed on us, it will produce the expansive, rising, decaying results that cause our lives to stink. <laughs> Ever had a stinky attitude? Yeah, we all have. <laughs> so, it's a strange little picture about how sneaky sin can be when we let something we know we shouldn't be participating in. It feeds on us and changes our attitude. It makes us stinky. He's like, you don't want any of that in your life. Now, yeasted dough is also always considered old. What they did was when they would make a batch of risen dough, they would pull part off and save it. This is the way our mothers made bread. You would have some kind of leavening yeast, and then you would put that little piece in the refrigerator until the next time you wanted to make bread. And you would have your flour and your water, and then maybe some honey or sugar, and you would take that old piece of dough and mix it in with the new, and it would rise. So in Scripture, not only does yeast represent that which is sinful, it also represents that which is old. So what they were doing is they were always taking something old and adding it to something new. So when God says, don't eat any leavened bread, he's painting a picture that says, leave that which is old behind and don't bring it with you into the new. For new covenant believers, this is a great picture. We need to leave the old covenant where it is. <laughs> we don't need to try to add the old dough of the old covenant to the new covenant of unleavened bread. The new covenant has nothing corrupt or decaying. The new covenant will never produce stinky results. It produces life and life more abundant. If we have some stinky results in our lives, it might be because we've added something old to something new. An old way of thinking to the new covenant thinking. An old way of believing to the fact that we're righteous in Christ today. When we try to add the old covenant or the old ways of life to the new covenant and our new way of life, we get something called a mixture. And trying to live in a mixture just doesn't work. You will always get stinky results. Because <laughs> those stinky little critters are going to make a mess. <laughs> well, we should probably put a warning label on the New Testament. Warning, do not add with the old. Stinky results. <laughs> Could cause gas. <laughs> <laughs> they might think twice about it then, right? <laughs> so God is also saying <laughs> that he wanted them to forget their old life in Egypt. They were to leave all the old ways of worship and the understandings of God and even their ways of working. Leave the old life where it is. Leave that which is past in the past. They were supposed to learn the new way of life then their new way of life was being in relationship with the one true and living God. So the unleavened bread was to be a reminder. The fact that they didn't take anything old with them into the new. 
Deuteronomy 16.3 says this, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Here, the unleavened bread is also called the bread of affliction. Affliction refers to hardship, distress, and poverty. So this bread was to remind them of the sufferings and hardships that they endured in Egypt. In other words, it was to remind them of the life they were saved from. But it was also to remind them of the life that they were saved for. A life in relationship with God, which also brought them complete freedom from slavery. So basically, this bread reminded them of the hard life that Egypt has to offer, that which they were saved from, and it reminded them of how in an instant God had completely and utterly delivered them from slavery and made them free men, something they had never been before. Do we see a picture? Yeah. We have been made free, something without Christ we could have never been. God wanted them to remember that day. That day was the day of their salvation. So the unleavened bread was a picture of their salvation. It was a picture of leaving the old and beginning of the new. As New Covenant believers, that's exactly what Jesus is. He is our salvation. He is our unleavened bread. In him, we leave the old man of sin and begin the new life as new creations, something we never were before. We become free, no longer slaves to sin or to fear or to anything else that comes out of the old life. At the Passover dinner, Jesus reveals the truth to his disciples that he is both the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread. Through his sacrifice, he is fulfilling the law and finishing the old covenant. He is leaving the old behind, and through his body and blood, he institutes the new. 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 25 the apostle Paul says this For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you how that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread what bread unleavened bread the bread of affliction the bread without sin the bread of remembrance the bread of freedom the bread of the new covenant verse 24 and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What I like about this is the Apostle Paul doesn't tell us to do what? In Matthew and Mark, when they record this, they say Jesus says, Take and eat. But they don't say, Remember. Luke and Paul leave out the take and eat, but they add the remember. And so you have to have all of them. I like this. Do what? Do what with this bread? Eat the bread of sinlessness. Eat the bread of thankfulness. Eat the bread of freedom. Eat the bread of the new life. Eat the bread of the new covenant. Eat the bread of life himself. Eat Jesus. Eat the bread of remembrance. And remember Jesus. Remember that day. In verse 25 it says, In like manner also, the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me so we are to eat and drink 
for the express purpose of remembering not just the day of salvation, but the person of salvation. The person of salvation did the work of salvation and instituted a new and living way to the Father so that we could leave behind the old man of sin and the old ways that stink. <laughs> In John chapter 6, Jesus said, while speaking to the Jews who were among the 5,000 who were miraculously fed the day before, Jesus fed over 5,000 men. That didn't include the women and children. So they're guessing hmm, 20,000 people maybe from five loaves and two fish. And they think, this is a great deal. We will just follow him around. <laughs> we'll make him king, and he can just feed us all the time. And so they come to him. And this is part of what he says to them in uh, John chapter 6, beginning with verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This bread, I love this. He's probably pointing to himself. I never saw the picture until I really started to look at this is the bread that came down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now when those in attendance heard Jesus say this, they were strongly offended, okay? Because in the Old Testament, there are some pretty strict regulations about eating things with blood in it and sacrificing humans. Never allowed, okay? So they are flabbergasted that Jesus would even say such a thing. You want us to cannibalize you? <laughs> this makes no sense, Jesus. He continues in verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Seems like a funny question. See, he's talking to them about looking at things from a spiritual point of view. Basically, Jesus is saying, Stop looking at this with natural understanding. You've got to see the spiritual picture. Look at the spiritual truth. I am the bread that came down from heaven, and you're going to see me leave. Will you believe me then? Will you believe me that I am the living bread if you see me go up to heaven? Because you're going to see me go up to heaven. But you have to have spiritual eyes. 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. I never really thought about this verse. I love this verse, but I never really put it in context before. Jesus is saying, eating my flesh would do you no good. It wouldn't save you. You could cut me up and eat me, and it would not save you. You'd be in bigger trouble, because <laughs> you're under a different covenant. <laughs> That's what he's actually saying there. So Jesus is saying that eating his physical body 
doesn't have the ability to save them or to change them or to help them or anything, but eating his spiritual body would. Partaking of his body and blood spiritually means to receive the truth of his redeeming sacrifice as sufficient payment for our sins. It is to receive his body and blood as the basis of our new covenant with God. And to receive his body and blood is to receive him as our Savior and his finished work as complete. Jesus wants them and us to think spiritually, not naturally. Natural thinking only sees what is natural. And natural thinking can't and sometimes won't understand what is available in the Spirit. Some people don't want the truth. They want to continue in the darkness of their own understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Romans 8.6, For to be carnally minded, that's natural thinking, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. These scriptures point out to us that without the Holy Spirit, we don't and we can't understand the spiritual truths that God has for us in and through the new covenant. Sometimes as believers, we can say no to a revelation from God because we find the truth uncomfortable or strange or just very different from what we were originally taught by religion. Religion will always point us to ourselves and what we can do. The old covenant was an external and conditional salvation that led to a spiritual salvation after death. The new covenant, however, is an internal and eternal covenant that begins the moment we receive Jesus as our redeeming sacrifice. He is our Passover lamb and he is our unleavened bread. We are the new lump, just like the Apostle Paul said. If we think we need to seek out all of those so-called leaven sins in our lives in order to be right with God, then we are still celebrating the Old Covenant, not the new one. Under the Old Covenant, a believer did have to find their own sins. Under the old way, you were responsible to find your sins and make atonement for them. Under the New Covenant, we don't do that. And the Old Covenant did have to keep themselves holy because that was the only kind of holiness they had, was an outside holiness. We have an inside holiness. We don't have to try to do anything to keep it there. It just already is there. It's who we are. Under the new covenant, we don't do anything by ourselves, including keeping ourselves holy or set apart unto God. We have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living on the inside of us. So we don't need to go and look for the sins in our lives. That's a hamster wheel we really don't want to get on because there's always going to be imperfections in our lives while we're here on earth. And the Holy Spirit is more than capable of pointing out when we've wandered into the flesh. <laughs> He's usually aware of it way before we are. <laughs> flesh stuff, you know, things like jealousy, vengeance, pride, impatience, self-pity, unforgiveness. Just a few of those stinky things that can show up in our lives. They can get stuck in our heart. They can produce the spiritual gas that makes us kind of stinky. But the Holy Spirit doesn't reveal our leaven to us in order to make us feel bad or condemned. He reveals our leaven so he can deliver us from it. Because we are supposed to be free men and living and walking as free men. Now the Holy Spirit knows that we tend to think like natural men instead of like spiritual men, even like the apostles. We're more like them than we would probably like to admit. <laughs> but our natural thinking can be appalled at the thought of not doing something 
to earn God's righteousness and forgiveness. Natural thinking says things like, I must repent. I must beg God to forgive me. I must promise never to do it again. I will put fences around myself. I'll get an accountability partner in this area of my life. We start acting like old covenant believers, trying to gather our leaven and get rid of it when it isn't even possible. We try to keep ourselves holy by our actions instead of by acknowledging the truth that we already are holy. This problem with all this self-effort is that it doesn't work. I can't tell you how many times I repented over and over about even the dumbest things. And no matter how many times I promised God, I'll do better next time, Jesus. (laughs) I won't eat cheesecake. (laughs) I'll do better next time, Jesus. (laughs) It never gave me the power to overcome. I don't have the power to overcome sin by myself. None of us do. It isn't our self-effort that keeps us holy and makes us holy. It's Jesus in us. Unless we have a change of mind from the Holy Spirit that changes our heart, then nothing will happen. We will not change, even if we manage to be really strong. I repented more about dieting in my entire Christian life more than anything else. (laughs) Because I wasn't perfect. I was always falling short of perfection. And so I was always bad because I was always failing. You do so good for two or three days, and then, man, somebody makes you cookies. <laughs> I could never find the strength to eat the way I wanted to eat in my own strength. I didn't have it. Guess what? Still don't. I cannot save myself. It has to come from the relationship with God the unleavened bread, who he is and who I am that will bring that out in my life. It is when I feed on him the power comes. It is his revelation to me that changes my heart where I can say, oh, I can do this different. I can make a better decision. I can choose this because he changes my heart first. So what is the remedy for the new covenant Christian? How do we get rid of the leaven that sometimes shows up in our lives? by feasting and feeding on Jesus and on the truth that his sacrifice was once for all. One sacrifice for all people, for all time, and for all sin. All of them. (laughs) By feeding on this truth, we begin to realize the truth that God is not mad at us when we mess up and that he only wants to help us get out of the mess we get ourselves in. By feasting and feeding on Jesus, we keep our eyes on Jesus. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, Jesus will change our natural thinking into spiritual thinking. When he reveals himself and his love and his truth to us, our thinking is changed. And when our thinking is changed, our behavior is changed. Change doesn't come from self-effort. Change comes from resting in the truth of who Jesus is. By feasting and feeding on Jesus as the true image of our Father's love and grace, For us, we don't need anything else to teach us not to sin. Grace teaches us to say no to sin, not fences and not accountability partners. By feasting and feeding on Jesus, we will begin to believe that God already gave us a partner. I love this. God already gave us an accountability partner, only that's not his job. 
He doesn't keep us accountable. He keeps us powerful. See, we have to have a different mindset. We have to change our thinking from the old covenant. Get rid of that old batch of dough that keeps trying to rise over into our new covenant and overtake the truths that we have. We are a new lump. It is grace that empowers us. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers us. He is the one that keeps us powerful and victorious. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasted for seven days. I like this. It began on the Sabbath and it ended on a Sabbath. It began with rest and it ended with rest. (laughs) Salvation begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. (laughs) It is all of Jesus. It is all a gift. Our forgiveness, our holiness, and our transformation is all because of the work of the cross and the presence of Christ. The Jews celebrated for seven days because they had to walk out of their old life and into their new, and it took them seven days to get to the Red Sea. I like this picture. You start with a miracle, salvation, deliverance from Egypt. But you know what? You still got to walk it out. Most of us are in the middle there. (laughs) We've got Jesus. (laughs) We've got our deliverance. But we have to put that deliverance to work for us. It works for us. We have to walk it out. But how did they walk it out? By feeding on Jesus every day. That's how they got to the next miracle. That's where they got to the next great deliverance. That's where they got to the next great move of God. How did they get there? By feeding daily on Jesus. Deliverance is not a work of our hand. It is a work of his hand. It's a work of his hand in us and through us and for us. He gives us the power to turn away from the stinky things that try to take root in our heart. The more we feed on Jesus and the truth of his finished work and the finished work of salvation, the more Jesus shows up in our life. The Jews celebrated a great deliverance by the hand of God by keeping the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They celebrated that they were separated from their oppressors and their old way of life. But we as believers, we celebrate Jesus as both our Passover lamb and our unleavened bread. We have to go back to the truth. When we mess up, when we blow it, when we fall short of perfection, we have to go back to the Sabbath. We have to go back to the rest. We have to stop trying to fix the mess and fix ourselves and go back to the rest that is a finished work. I am already healed. Now, I may have to do some things to walk that out, but I am already healed. Yeah, I'm not going to move off a healed. I'm not going to move off a righteousness. I'm not going to move off a holiness. No, 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 no. That's already settled. I have to rest in those truths. We celebrate Jesus. We celebrate that Jesus is right now our very great deliverance from the power and presence of sin and death. We celebrate that all we need to do is eat to partake by faith of his flesh and blood. We need to daily feast on the truth that we have already been made holy. We have already been made righteous. We have already been made healed and whole because we have already partaken of the eternal life. And the more this truth permeates our hearts, the more this truth will become visible in our lives. This morning, we invite you to partake of the bread that has come down from heaven. The bread, the living bread that gives us life. We invite you to see and believe that you are receiving into your body the very life of Christ again, anew. It turns out the old adage is true. You are 
what you eat. You are what you eat. And if you are eating fear, if you are eating doubt, or if you are eating condemnation, if you are eating old dough, you're going to get stinky results. <laughs> Don't eat old dough. <laughs> you are what you eat. Eat Jesus. Eat new covenant. Eat freedom. Eat truth. Eat Jesus every day. Because that will get you to your next move of God. That will get you to your big deliverance. That will get you to your miracle. That will get you to where he wants you to be completely free. He doesn't want us to stay in Egypt and still be delivered from the enemy. He wants us out of the old and living every day in the new. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Mama and Papa to come and serve the communion. We're going to practice eating Jesus. We're going to practice eating Jesus. What is Jesus to you today? Yeah, is he your healing? Then eat some healing. Is he your wholeness? Eat some wholeness. Is he your peace? Eat some peace. Is he your comforter? Eat some comfort. When I was thinking about doing communion today, I was tempted to buy big crackers. <laughs> you know why? We have a big Jesus. So often we take little pieces of bread. I was real tempted to make you eat a whole big cracker. Because I was going to have you break it and each piece, name it. Name what your peace is. Is this your healing? Is this your provision? Is this the comfort in your heart? Is this your freedom from condemnation? What is it? Name it. Name it. We are what we eat. We are. The night before Jesus was crucified, he took bread. He took unleavened bread. New bread. New life. And he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And afterward, he took the cup. This is the blood of the covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. And drink all of it. Drink all that belongs to you. Drink all that I have paid for. Drink all. Receive it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you for all the pictures that you paint for us. We thank you that you make the truth of who you are and how much you love us real, tangible. We can see the truth for what it is and how easy it is. All you ask us to do is believe that you are as good as you say you are, that you are as true as you say you are, that we really can, we really can believe and receive a finished, completed work in us and for us and through us. We thank you for this new covenant, for new life, for Jesus Christ coming to live inside of us and giving us an eternal salvation. Life that never ends. Life that is life and life more abundant. And we thank you, Father, that we can feed on Jesus every day in your word, in worship, and in communion. We thank you, Father God, for the privileges that you call us to the table and you bid us to eat Jesus so that we become more and more outwardly 
what we already are inwardly. That the holiness that we are and the righteousness that we are shows up in our lives and you get all the glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.